Good morning. I am not a fan of daylight savings time. I think that's kooky. Um, my idea is how about every Sunday we just get an extra hour each week. Like just give us an extra hour each week. And I really appreciate some of you ladies that I see you're drinking coffee right now. You've been up all weekend, and thank you for being with us this morning. If you fall asleep, it's okay. You can do that. I'm wearing a, a shirt today, Schaefer Strong. Uh, this is in honor of uh, Schaefer Reichert. Uh, many of you know the Reicherts uh, go to our church. And uh, 47 days ago, Schaefer contracted or, or, or what, uh, the, the flu virus. And at the same time, he had a staph infection. And somehow these two things combined. And so when they, they took him to the hospital, uh, he actually, uh, the minute that he got into the hospital, they life-flighted him up to Denver. And so Paul and Beth Reichert uh, made the drive up to Denver. They walk into the hospital, and the doctor says, it's likely that Schaefer's going to die in the next 20 minutes. His body is shutting down. His organs are failing. We've got him on multiple life support systems. And so if you have something to say to him, go now. Friday night, Schaefer got out of the car at his house and walked into his home. That's great. And so uh, he, he still has a, a recovery ahead of him, um, but, but man, hearing that and then uh, just uh, 45 days, it feels like it's been months, but I know many of you have been praying for him. I wanted to give that update on them. Keep praying for his recovery. Pray that he gains weight. That's what he needs right now. Touch has power. A few weeks ago, I, had, I was in church, and a couple different guys randomly uh, came up to me, and they said, hey, I want to give you a hug this morning. And I was like, okay. And so we hugged it out, and it was surprisingly emotional. I really appreciated that. Um, I don't need any more hugs today. I'm just letting you know that's happened. A friend of mine told me that one time he was at church, and they were doing the greeting time, and uh, he he shook the hand of this woman, and he just patted her on the shoulder when he did that. And she tears welled up in her eyes, and she said, that's the first touch I've had all week. Last summer, I was in Ireland, and I was coming to the end of my time there, and it had been a surprisingly emotional time for me. Um, uh, one of the things that I had spent time that week doing was I sat by the grave of St. Patrick, and I kind of for the first time really mourned the death of my brother, Patrick, sitting by this grave. And and had been traveling with a group of people and made some new friends, and we were uh, spending a lot of uh, life together. And it was uh, at this morning of this day, um, I had spent time at a dam in uh, Ireland, just reflecting on God and his, his role in our lives and what he was saying to us. And it was an afternoon, uh, just after lunch at a butcher shop in Kilkeel, and we were walking back to where we were staying, and it just felt overwhelmed in this moment of, of my heart was just so full, and I, I just needed uh, more than conversation. I needed a, a touch. I was walking with uh, one of my new friends, Linda. Linda is a sweet older lady that worked with a poet that I really admire, and we had been having conversations that day. And as we were crossing the street back to the car, I, uh, I just grabbed her hand, and we held hands and walked down this street in Kilkeel just needed to find some grounding in that moment, some human touch to connect me to all that I was feeling. Dr. Docker uh, Keltner, professor of psychology, claims that human touch is the foundation of human relationships. Skin to skin, parent to child, touch is the social language of our lives. Touch has power. 
The touch anchors our souls. And this is why we must remember when we think about Jesus that he came to be touched. He was really here. Our faith doesn't reside in a book or a set of beliefs. Uh, beliefs. It uh, resides in a person and in an event. The person of Jesus Christ and the event called the resurrection that we believe happened. And this is why it's so powerful when we come back to Scripture and we see something like 1 John 1, 1, where uh, John is reminding us that Jesus was real. Let's see it. That which was from the beginning, we have heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've gazed at, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus arrived as a real human. People saw him, they heard him, they touched him. These were real people like you and me encountering a real man from Galilee. He was more than a word from God. He is the word of life. He is the word alive. This Lent season affords us the opportunity to consider who we are and how we're going to engage with this Jesus ourselves. And so as we move towards Easter this Lent, we're going to engage our senses in the Gospels. We're going to see the touch of Jesus that provides life into desolate conditions. We're going to see Jesus through the eyes of faith. We're going to taste the wine from his own hands. We're going to hear his voice. We're going to Smell the aroma of his death and his life again. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin today with a sense of touch. We're going to sense Jesus together. Luke was a follower of Jesus Christ, wrote down what he saw. Wrote down eyewitness accounts of what he saw, of the Jesus that he heard and saw and gazed at, his hands handled. And he tells his story in Luke 7, beginning in verse 11. Jesus went to a town called Nain. His disciples went with him, and so did a large crowd. As he got near to the gate of the city, a young man was being carried out dead. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. There was a substantial crowd of the townspeople with her. Imagine that you're walking the streets of this small town in Galilee. It's a dry day. It's a hot day. Dust is being kicked up by this substantial crowd. In this crowd, you had the, the pallbearers. They were carrying this beer, which is kind of like a, a stretcher, and the coffin is sitting on this, and they're walking down the road carrying this thing together. Behind it, you had this mother, this grieving widow, mourning the loss of her child. You had family and friends all surrounding her. You, you had a crowd of professional mourners. That was a thing back then. Back in this day, they didn't want you to grieve alone, and so there would be people that would come to the funeral, and they were crying and wailing and moaning on your behalf, so you didn't have to cry alone. And then, of course, you had the people at the end carrying the spices and the linen, ready to wrap this young boy up uh, before they laid him to rest so they could stave off the smell of decomposition. So pretty much you have the whole crowd, the whole town, the substantial crowd of this town turned out to walk with this poor woman. This procession probably started in her home, which now is standing silent and empty, and they've been walking through the streets. They just now have come out of the gate of the city. They're headed towards burial, probably a, a small cave where the boy's father and the woman's husband was buried long ago, covered in rocks, waiting his son's arrival. And then all of a sudden, Luke says a new crowd, a large crowd, walks in. Now, normally in a town like Nain, to see a large crowd come in, that would be a, a matter of great interest, but today there are heavier matters at play. Although this one man does kind of look familiar. I mean, that Nazareth is only about five miles away. I think I've seen him before. 
Maybe this crowd is going to do the respectful thing and, and, and turn around and walk away. Or maybe they're going to just bow their heads and, and do a moment of, of quiet. Or, or maybe they're going to join the procession and be part of the funeral and wail along with them. You know, funerals are tricky things. In my role, I get to do funerals from time to time, and it's always a, a, a unique thing to sit with a family that's grieving and, and in pain, and you're, you're trying to help them plan a service, right? Like, they're just missing their love, and I'm trying to help them find the right songs to play. Like, it's, it's kind of a, a, a tricky thing. It's a, it's a delicate thing. I, I want to step in. I want to help them uh, get some of this stuff planned, but also I don't want to intrude too much. I don't want to direct too much. It's just kind of this delicate thing. But at this funeral, one person steps out from this new crowd and indelicately inserts himself into the story. Look what Luke says happens next. When the master saw her, he was very sorry for her. Don't cry, he said to her. What do you say to a woman whose son has just died? Can you guess the number one thing not to say, right? I mean, maybe you say something like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, maybe you say something like, hey, can I help with anything? I mean, heck, even trot out the old cliche, I'm sending thoughts and prayers your way. These are all perfectly acceptable things to say. But to say to a woman, don't cry, anything would be better than what the master said. Worst funeral pastoring ever. This is not delicate. This woman's already lost her husband, now she's lost her son. And this stranger insults her by daring her. Don't cry. Now, if it's not bad enough that this master insults her, what he does next is unbelievable. Then he went up and touched the beer, and the people carrying it stood still. With a touch, all action stops. I'm trying to think of how uh, a parallel to how inappropriate this is. And I, I was thinking, like, maybe, maybe you're having, like, a, a 20th anniversary dinner with your spouse at the Broadmoor, and you're having this, you're all dressed up and fancy, you've got the nice food out, and, and someone just walks up and sits down at the table and grabs food off your plate and starts eating it with their hands. Like, that, inappropriate. No one touches the beer, the wooden frame that the, the, the coffin is sitting on. Only the pallbearers touch it. Why? There's an old rule that God gave to the Jewish people that anyone who touched a dead body was considered spiritually unclean for a season. This meant they had to go this, uh, this uh, ceremony of purification. They had to wash their hands a certain way. They had to wash their clothes a certain way. They couldn't uh, be around people for a while. They certainly could not come to the temple. They were spiritually unclean. Now, there were some spiritual reasons behind that rule. But something that's cool about God is these procedures also protected them from bacteria and disease. Even they, they, they weren't fully aware of what that was, years before science would catch up, God was looking out for his people. But come back to our scene for a moment. By now, some people have begun to recognize this man, the master, as Luke calls him. Hey, he's that rabbi, um, Jesus, from, from Nazareth, right over there. And this confuses them because they, they're now thinking, why would a rabbi risk being spiritually unclean by touching this funeral? It's just shocking on so many levels. And we might be able to forgive his insensitive comment. We might be able to chalk his touch up to a rabbi that's known to break a few rules. But what he does next. Young fellow, he said, I'm telling you, get up. I'll tell you something. I've buried loved ones. You have as well. The stranger showed up at a funeral of my loved one, walked up, touched 
the coffin and said, get up. I'd take a swing. I'd level them. No one does that here. Maybe they're in shock. Maybe some of them are balling up their fists. Maybe they've heard of this master and they want to see what's going to happen. Just imagine that you're standing there and you're part of this funeral and Jesus walks up and you're watching him. He's the point of action and he touches the thing and and, and he's holding on to it. And then he says, get up and you won't be able to help yourself. Your gaze is going to slide slowly from him over to the coffin. The pallbearers feel a shift in weight. The mourners hear the movement of body against wood. And then Luke says, the dead man sat up and began to speak. And he gave him to his mother. I love how Luke gives us this detail. This is not some kind of post-death release of gas. You know, the oh, the body moved. Oh, it it was kind of a thing. No, no. He sat up and began to speak. Wouldn't you give anything to know what he said? My theory is this. Oh. Why all the long faces? Somebody die? By the way, I like to think that Jesus had to specify who he talked to, young fellow. If he just said the words, get up, that close to the graveyard, (laughs) we'd have chaos. So he's specifically saying, I'm not talking to all of you, just you, young fellow, get up. And then Jesus, who in his role as God, Gave this son to this mother the first time around. Gives him back alive. Now we understand. His words don't cry. They weren't hollow or insensitive. He was preparing her for the surprise of her life. This is Jesus. He shows up unannounced, uninvited, and offers the touch that brings life. I think this touch is also Jesus warning death, just his hand here, you're not going to reign forever. It's a foretaste of the moment when he's going to allow death to claim him, only to turn the tables and destroy its sting forever. This is Jesus. Do you remember the tsunami that happened in 2005? Remember that in the Pacific? It was a huge thing, and thousands of people died. And I was reading something about it the other day. There's this woman named Rebecca O'Connor who tells the story. She said, when I first saw the horrific images of the Asian tsunami disaster, I was working the night shift at New York Presbyterian Hospital. That's where I'm a pediatric nurse. And she said, I felt compelled to do something. And so she did. She flew to Sri Lanka along with eight other medical professionals for a two-week medical relief trip. When they arrived there, they traveled through 150 miles of destruction. Just let that sink in before they reached this downtown area that had been completely devastated. They set up their clinic in a mosque, and they started to see patients come in. They saw about 100 patients every shift. It was just nonstop, and they were treating people that with respiratory conditions. They were treating people who had stepped on things in the water as they were wading and cutting themselves and just all this infection and everything going on. But then they discovered that that less than a mile away from them was a a local hospital that was running. And they also discovered there was a a large clinic nearby. And and so Rebecca began to wonder, why are all these people coming to us when there's a hospital right here and when there's a clinic right here? And so she asked one of the the natives there, hey, what's going on? The person said this, because 
when people go to that hospital, someone asks them, what's your name, what's your age, what's your complaint, and then hands them paper to fill out. You sit them down, you ask them what's wrong, you treat them, you touch them, you listen to them. Rebecca said, it seems the most valuable therapy we were providing had nothing to do with antibiotics or wound care. By listening to story after story, admiring pictures of families once happy and healthy, playing soccer with children who lost everything, we were able to say, we care about you, we share in your grief without speaking a word. Touch has power. Do you remember seeing any footage of Mother Teresa? Remember how she would use uh, touch as a ministry? She would hold people's faces. She would clutch their hands. She would embrace them without fearing their disease. With a touch, she dignified sufferers' humanity and offered to carry their pain for them. Her touch poked through boundaries that would have kept their bodies isolated from her. Our touch can be so powerful especially when we realize that we are the hands of Christ today. Now, fast forward past our day to a future day. There's another time coming when Jesus is going to use his touch again. John records this vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride dressed up for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne, and this is what it said. Look, God has come to dwell with humans. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. And what will he do? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or weeping or pain anymore since the first things have passed away. One day Jesus is going to touch your face. He's going to touch our faces. Our faces tear-stained with all the mourning and all the pain, all the suffering of this world. And he's going to say to us, don't cry. Which at first we might think is insensitive. How can he tell us not to cry when around us is such evil and conflict and oppression and loss and death and sadness? He'll tell us don't cry because he's preparing us for the surprise of our lives. When he makes all things new. And he's going to wipe our tears away. Not because there shouldn't be crying in heaven. Not because he doesn't care about our pain. But so our tears don't obscure us from seeing that death is done. And that God himself is there in its place to dwell with us forever. This is Lent. A time to remember the touch of Jesus that brings life and wipes tears. Now come back to today for a moment. Back from that future time. Back to today. Where do you need the touch of Jesus Christ in your life this week? This week. Imagine that you're standing next to the coffin of that thing that you dread. Maybe it's something you know is going to happen. Maybe you, there's someone that you love that is close to death. Maybe there is a procedure you're having done. Maybe there's a custody case this week. Or maybe there's some things that you don't know, but you're afraid of. Maybe you're afraid of getting sick. Maybe you're afraid of getting that phone call. Maybe you're, you're worried about what's going to happen with your position at work. And just imagining this moment this week, what, what is, what's coming up for you? As you think about it, you may be filled with anguish or anger or worry or fear. And into this moment, Jesus steps in and says, don't cry. 
and you feel his hand upon your shoulder, young fellow, dear lady, get up. I can't promise that when Jesus shows up, he will say what you want him to say or do what you want him to do, but I can promise you this, he will be present with you. And he offers the touch of life even into the most desolate of situations. Will you welcome him? Into the procession of life this week, will you welcome the unexpected gentle touch of Jesus Christ? Maybe this morning you welcome him into your life for the very first time and you let his touch forgive you of your sin. With these words, Jesus, I welcome you. Pause and and pray with me for a moment. beginning to pray, I just ask that question again. Where is it this week that you long for the touch of Christ? Jesus, I welcome you into this part of my life. I welcome you into that moment that's coming up. I ask that you be present and that you let me feel your touch in this situation. Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we're going to do during Lent is we're going to take the table each Sunday and focusing on a different sense as we do so. One of the things that has helped me um, be reminded of the very real earthiness of Jesus is the table. I love that he gave us bread to break. He gave us cup to pour, to be poured. And so one thing that I've done often when I have come up to take the elements is sometimes when I go back to my seat, I just, I just hold the bread in my hand for a minute. I just, I just break it again. I just want to feel and be reminded that his body was broken for me. And then sometimes when I take the cup back, before I I drink it, sometimes I've even let my thumb slip a little bit inside just to be reminded that something was spilled for me. We're going to give you some space this morning to prepare to come to the table. Uh, You might want to use that time in your seat. You might want to use our prayer wall. Maybe there's something you need to pray about that we've said this morning. But when you're ready, I'm going to invite you to come to our tables located all around the room and upstairs. Take the elements back to your seat. Take them by yourself or with someone that you love, um, however you want. But I would encourage you to take a moment to really feel the brokenness of the bread and the body and to feel the cup that was spilled for us. Jesus, we are welcomed at your table and we come to remember you.